Today, Luke chapter 15, picking it up in verse 11. And then he, Jesus, speaking a parable unto them, said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided it to them and to his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son had gathered together all and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a famine, a severe famine in the land, and he began to want. And then he went and he joined himself to a a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. Now I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, for I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. But when he had still was a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I have no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring a fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead, and he is now alive. He was lost. And they began to be merry. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of his servants and asked him about these things. What did they mean? And he said unto him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. And he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving or toiling for you, and I've never transgressed your commandments. Notice, at any time, and yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might be, has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and yet you kill a fatted calf for him. And he said unto him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost, and was found. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this parable, Lord. We thank you, and we hear the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Father who has mercy and grace when we don't deserve it, when we go off and we waste the talents and the abilities that you give us. And so, Lord, that we would learn from this and grow from this. And so, Lord, thank you, and we... We just pray, Lord, that we would draw close to you by your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, so it is well known. It's called the prodigal son. 
nowhere in here is prodigal, by the way, in the original, although the King James says prodigal living. It really comes from in verse 13 where it says waste, and that's the word we get for prodigal is wasteful living. So let's dive into this because this chapter has been amazing already. Last week we we were looking at the lost sheep and we saw the lost coin. Now we have the lost boy, the lost man. And so it says in verse 11 that he said he had uh, a certain man had two sons. Again, this prodigal son, this wasteful life of a son, and, and really as we kind of dive into it, it is what we are wasting. What has God given us and we are squandering that on ourself or wanton living? But I want to pause a second because in these three parables that we see, there's something that has been lost and how are we applying it to our life? Well, the first, the sheep could be this way, that this is an unbeliever that has been, uh, you know, drawn away from the crowds to the world, to worldly things. And it shows us how the Father has come into our world and died and paid the penalty for our sin. And that sheep is brought into the fold. And the next one is something that is lost, not by uh, necessarily our fault, but some somebody has lost something of ours. And, and oftentimes people are drawn away by the really dumb things of, either denominational or a book or something like that, and they're, they're drawn away, and then, and then it says, and then they're found again. They come back to their senses. And this third parable is this. It is somebody who has been enjoying the presence of the Father in his Father's house and decides to remove himself from his Father's presence. So for us today, we are going to call that person a believer. Everybody got that? It's like the parable of the soils. And I want to make this point because in the parables, oftentimes, we can be very dogmatic and say it's this way. But oftentimes, the parables can be applied in a lot of different ways. Like the parable of the soil, it's very evangelistic. And we we talk about how evangelistic the message of the parable of the soils. These four soils and only, only a quarter of the people ever really accept the Lord after hearing the message. But if you spend any time here at Calvary, you know that I like to apply that parable inside of the church. How we can come to service and we can sit here and as the word is going forth, you're being distracted and the evil one comes and takes away the message and you walk out the door and you go, what? 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 I don't even remember what he said. I remember that awesome shirt. Or the thorns of life, you're a believer, but you're allowing the things of the world to choke you, and I must do this. I must work and have 60 hours a week and neglect my family. Well, there's there's a consequence to that. And really, I mean, we should just turn to the parable, and that should be it today, where the soil is. But really, I want you to see this. Only a a handful of people really inside of the church are ever really fruitful. Is that shocking to anybody? And yet, 
we look at that parable and go, this is evangelistic. We don't, we don't bring it into our life. So today what I want to do is bring this into our life in a real way and say that, you know, we look at this prodigal and we say, oh, that's the guy that was in the church, raised in the church, went out in his 20s, did sex, drug, drugs, and rock and roll, and just a terrible life, and then he came back at some point after watching a Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, Greg Laurie, whatever, he listened to a WXMB and came back. Right on. And we can look at it like that and then think it doesn't apply to me. Do you see that? That's dangerous. How this applies to us is that even as we sit here today, What is God calling you? And you are wasting that which he has given you as an inheritance. Bummer, huh? (laughs) You thought you were coming and we were going to hear all about the crazy life and that person out there. Oh, we'll talk about that. But this really applies to us. The wasteful life as a believer. What are you? I challenge you today. What are you doing with God's promises in your life and your inheritance that he has given you? What are you using that for? Is it to enrich yourself or is it to enrich the body of Christ? Unlike the shepherd and the woman in the previous parables, the father did not go out and seek the son here But it was the memory of the father's goodness that brought the boy or the man to repentance and forgiveness. Romans 2, 4, if you're taking note, says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and his long-suffering? Here it is. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. What this parable ultimately teaches us is the love of the father. By the way, did you notice there are three people in this parable? We have the the son, and it's not necessarily the younger son, although he is, but uh, sometimes we think like the older son is, you know, uh, several years older or 10 years older or somebody. It could very well be that these two are, are born right around the same time, maybe a year or so apart. It's very common in this culture. But it, it doesn't say that. It, it just it says that the younger said to his father, and we're going to talk about inheritance and what that meant. How does this apply to me? How does the younger and the older apply to me? So we've got the younger or the one son, the father, and the second son. I want you to know today, you don't want to be the second son. Everybody got that? Because in this parable, Jesus doesn't tell us that he comes around, that he doesn't repent, that his heart doesn't soften. We don't read any of that. That's dangerous. So just tip number one today, don't be the angry second son. Let's dive into it. lot to do today. Now, the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. Now, according to Jewish law, an elder son received twice as much as the other sons, and the father would then distribute that wealth 
during his lifetime, if he wished. At any point, one of the sons could say to it's it's kind of it's not like today where you have a will and an inheritance, and when you die, then it's all fought over. Right? Back then, you could still be dad at 50, and the son rightfully could come and say, I want my portion now. So the younger is going to get one-third, the older is going to get two-thirds. The older's responsibility is to take care of the father and the mother. It is the firstborn's responsibility to do that. That's why there was an extra portion to take care of mama and papa. And yet, the younger comes, and notice it's perfectly legal for the younger son to ask for his share, and he would either sell off that, because it was usually tied to land or to stock animals, he would sell that off. Now think about this, and what is this saying to the father? It's saying, I wish that you were dead, and I want my things now. I want my way now. Now, we know that this father is the picture of our heavenly father. And so many people say to God, even in the church, I want my way, and I don't like your way. I don't like how you're directing me. I don't like this. So I want my stuff, and I want to get out of here. And so the younger said to him, hey, dad, give it to me, and let me get out of here. Verse 13 says, now, not many days after, that means Pretty soon after, he gathered all that he had, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with wanted living or prodigal living. Please note with me this phrase, the far country. It's not necessarily a distant place to which we must travel because the far country often exists first in our own hearts we have already distanced ourselves from God. And you can kind of see this uh, with the prodigal son. You can also see this, by the way, with the older son, how distant he is too. He doesn't even bother coming into his father's house or even asking his father. He has to ask his servant what's going on. Uh, We'll get to him. So before you think, hey, I, I... just go into a far land or I go into just uh, an immoral life. No, see, the younger son dreamed of enjoying his freedom far from home and from his father way before he actually left. Our hearts are often set. Every once in a while, I know this might be shocking, we have some problem people inside of the church. None of you, it's probably second service. And there'll be a little issue or a discussion or a dispute or something. And what I have learned and what uh, Foy and I and some of the others have, have learned is they already decided to leave. And they want, to, want you to know about all that you're doing wrong and how better they could be if they were running it, which I'd love to just say, go ahead. <laughs> But I've seen people do that and go off and flounder for years. And if they would have just stayed and humbled themselves in the sight of the Lord, 
But I look at them, and if they're in any kind of position in the church at all, we immediately pull them out. Why? They're already gone. They will do more damage in that role. We pull them out immediately because they're already gone. Any little hint of anything, we pull them out of it because they're already in a far country. If the sheep was lost through foolishness and the coin through carelessness, then the son was lost because of willfulness. He wanted to go. He wanted to have his own way, so he rebelled against his own father, and he broke his father's heart. And so when he had spent, verse 14, all, what does all mean? Think about this. He just got one-third of his inheritance. He moved to Las Vegas. Where's Jack? There he is. Jack escaped from Las Vegas. He bet it all, and it's gone, right? God has given me and the talents that he has given me, the inheritance that he has given me. Now, what happens when you spend all? The Bible is very uh, clear about this. This always happens if you've, if you, how many of you have been alive for five minutes? Okay, a couple of you just were born. Every time you spend all, there's always going to be something right after, and it's not always good. It's a severe famine. Eh? Let's just have a famine. No, let's have a severe famine in the land. By the way, God uses those. Let's pause. You could say, well, did God bring the severe famine? He doesn't have to do anything. He just has to allow man to do what man always does. Man sins on his own. Hurricanes happen every year. Fires happen every year. And it's not global warming. Oh, if I hear another politician say that all of this is happening, and if we just vote for this guy, it'll all go away November 5th. What? Weren't you, haven't you been in charge for 50 years before? Oh, I didn't mean to use logic. See, you were dragging me into politics today, and I, won't want, I don't want to do it. So there was a severe famine in the land. Now, what I love about famines is what it does to us and how God uses whatever to get our attention. And he uses that famine. And you can see kind of the wheels of the prodigal turning here. Notice what he says. And then he joined himself to the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And then he's going to talk about how he's feeding the swine. But I want you to see this. First of all, what typically happens, by the way, how many of you have been a prodigal in this way as a, uh, described in the historical account that Jesus gives us? Not in what I'm talking about applying inside of the church, but actually going out and being a scoundrel. Okay, anybody else? The rest of you are lying. <sighs> Prayer time up in front afterwards. Now, when you started to see everything go in your life, did you immediately go to God? Oh, no. What did you do? You did exactly what this guy does. Verse 15, I highlighted it. I want you to highlight it too. He joined. He doesn't go back to the church. He doesn't go back to the Father. He joins. He, he gets deeper into it. 
and now I'm going to join myself with the citizens of that country. They're pagans. This is worldly, and we get more worldly. Does that make any sense? Nope, but that's what often happens with these prodigals and with us. So he joined himself to the people of that country, and notice they sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, to them, that's normal because they're not Jews. This may shock everybody. People in the world don't think like Christians. Don't be shocked. I'm shocked when someone that isn't a Christian has some morals. That to me is shocking. Don't expect Christian behavior from unbelievers. And it says it right here. So they send him in to feed the swine. (laughs) You know, a good Jewish boy. What could go wrong? And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Sin promises freedom, but it only brings slavery. And this is so hard to communicate to young people right now. The world promises so much, but it locks them in. Currently, it locks them to a mobile device. They're in bondage. That's what I love about Arrowwood. You go up to Arrowwood, put your phone in the box, and then we bury it behind a tree (laughs) and try to find it at the end of the week, you know. Think about how many things people are in bondage to. Again, sin promises freedom. By the way, the Bible does say that sin is pleasurable for a season. So I imagine this young guy goes out when he has his money, and it's it's fun, it's exciting, the nightclub, the this, the life, and the very, woo! But at some point, he realizes now there's something on his leg. There's, an, there's a chain, and he can't go very far. And now he's with the pigs. Sin promises freedom, but it only brings slavery. It promises success, but it brings failure. In his mind, I'm going to go out and be a successful man in the world. How did that work out? It promises life, but the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But when he came to himself, no, that's where we are, verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And shall I perish with hunger? Would you underline this phrase? So the last phrase, he joined himself to the world, and now this phrase is he came to himself. That's very important. Now, the only reason why he came to himself is because he had a heritage with his father before. He had a memory of that. Guys, I got to tell you, I am so blessed 
and privileged to have gone to a Calvary Chapel as a young person who knew prophecy, who was taught revelation, who were taught these things. And when I did do my dumb 20s, it was there. Always in my... By the way, the Lord will never allow you to sin successfully. I hate when that happens. That's God. Praise the Lord for that, right? And it's in your head. And so this this young man... He was raised in his father's house. So his father gave him a heritage. By the way, let's pause a second. For any of you who have a current prodigal and you raised your child in this way, please take note of that and continue to pray and to watch as we saw the, uh, see the father doing here. If you've given them any Bible, they, they're way ahead of the curve. They've got that in their head, and it comes up. Trust me, in the worst times. Anybody else? You're having fun at sin, and there's that Bible verse that jumps into your head. That's God. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get my attention. But he, when he came to himself, I love that, he, he actually stops, and he comes to himself, and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have enough bread to spare And yet I perish with hunger. To repent means to change one's mind. That's exactly what this young man did. He was caring for the pigs, which isn't again good for a Jewish boy. But he realizes that it's better in his father's house. There is an insanity to sin that paralyzes the image of God within us and liberates the animal within us. Do you see that? This is what sin does. Sin puts down God and then takes out the animal that's in us. And then we continue. I mean, I don't know about you, but anybody seen the news lately? Seems kind of peaceful out there. Like nothing really happening. But when he came to himself, can we all just pause a second and thank God when that happened in your life, in my life, when we came to ourselves and we thought, it's better to be in the house of the Lord. It's better to be in the house of my father than hanging out with these pigs. And I'm not talking about the police. means something that isn't kosher, pagan. So, you know what? I'm going to go back to the house of my life. I'll just be a servant. I'll just be the lowest of the low. I'll just go back. I'll humble myself and I'll say, I will arise, verse 18, and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Please note with me that the son has a repentive heart. How do I know that? Because he involves heaven. Oftentimes we might say something to a person, I have sinned against you, but we don't take it to the next level, which is uh, adding God to it. David said, I have sinned before my God. First. So too, this young man says, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son 
Make me like one of your hired servants. And I think that for a lot of us, we would have been happy just to be that servant. Hey, can I just come to church and sit in the back? Can I just be on the janitorial ministry and help out? Can I just go in the back and dig a ditch or something? What? Whatever. You want to send me to Nepal? Lord, I'll do that. I'll just be one of the servants. And verse 20 starts out with the heart of the father. So he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great far off, his father saw him and had great compassion, and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. If that doesn't bring you to an emotional response of our father, I don't know what will. It's not this Father in heaven that the world talks about just waiting to slam the hammer down on us. Do you see that? I don't see that. Does this look like, uh, I love this phrase, that Old Testament vengeful God who just blows people up and poor Uzzah. Come Wednesday night, you'll learn that. What does this heart look like? Let's point a couple of things out about the father. Number one, it says, while he was a great far off, the father saw him. How? Did he have binoculars and a telescope? What it tells me is that the father was looking for his son. We would say that he's been praying for his son. He's been waiting for the opportunity to embrace his son. By the way, in here, when we read it, that's why we always read this section and then we come back. Did anyone read the father go off on the son like you're an idiot? Often we want to say that. And it is true. But does that help in that situation? The father doesn't do that. He doesn't chastise the son. He doesn't say, get out of my sight. You have disgraced the family name. None of that. I think that if you are in this position right now, you would agree with me that your prodigal, you would do anything in the world to embrace them once again. And I don't mean to bring a flood of emotion to anybody. But this is probably one of the most amazing texts in all of the Bible. Describing who our God really is like. And who we really are like ourselves. Because eventually we're going to see the second son. Let me just have a little room. He has compassion because maybe he had done the same thing. Not our father. Everybody, don't send me letters. <laughs> you got that? We're just applying it to our human life. I've done that mistake. I've done that. So that's why I know that I have compassion on my child who comes back. By the grace of God, there go I. Compassion. This is what the Pharisees missed. This is what the religious leaders missed. Jesus said, it's mercy and it's grace, and you're missing that. And we're going to see 
the owner only wants justice, oh, there will be universal justice at some point by the Father. But he wants us to come back into fellowship. And he says, not only does he have compassion, I'm sorry, he ran. How old is dad with the long robe? Did he see the son hike up the robe, tie it, do the chariots of fire? You do when your child goes through that. And you have a broken relationship. You'll do anything. Will you not? Jesus gives us such a delicate look of the Father. He runs. He embraces him. He falls on his neck and he kisses him. Is the son worthy of anything that he is receiving from the Father? Absolutely not. He deserves to go be with the servants, to be branded as a slave. But God doesn't do that. He says, glad you're back. When I... uh, When I was in my 20s and I did all that, people ask me often, um, did you have this like amazing experience with God? Did he say, you know, the prodigal son and how did that, was it an amazing transformation? Did you walk up to the, you know, the, the platform and rededicate your life and all that? And I will tell you, absolutely not. Do you know what it was for me? God just, have you had enough of that, Ron? Are you done with it? Can we get back to what we were doing before? That's what God did for me. Let's just forget what you, aren't we glad we for, God forgets what we did? Let's just forget that. And let's move on. On. I'm so tired of living in the past. God doesn't do that. Paul the Apostle says, the life I lived before was a dung heap. It was a bunch of manure. And I don't really want to talk about it. I like that. Amen? Especially the really dumb things that we've done and gone through and said and posted. Not me. I didn't have that before. <laughs> Thank God I didn't have social. Can we... Those of you, thank God, there was no social media around with us. And we didn't have a cell phone. What we did, it was this just giant brick that was tied to the car and an antenna like this. And uh, Anybody think that this is the most amazing parable of all? The heart of the father? And so he kisses him. Not only that, and the son said to the father... I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He reiterates his repentance to the Father. He makes it a public 
proclamation. But the father, um, uh, where am I? 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring and a hand uh, on his hand and put sandals on his feet. Now, what that tells me is he's in bad shape. Anybody else? He is like no cash. He ain't got any flip-flops anymore. He, his jeans are so holy. And, but you with the people, with, you buy jeans with holes in them now. I don't even want to get into that. He looks bad. Would you not agree? Like this guy, he is. And you know those people who were out in the world. And they walk in the door and you look at him and you're like, can I help you? Come sit. And the father clothes him. By the way, we know that in the Bible, he clothes him with righteousness, his right on living. Gives him a ring. Why? Why does God give us gifts inside of the body of Christ? Do we deserve them? No, he does. Gives us gifts. Put sandals on his feet. And then he calls for southern-style barbecue. Mm. Bring out a fatted calf and kill it and let us make let us eat and be merry. Look, I just, I just want to say that the Bible is simply telling us that eating meat makes us happy. I'm just saying. Can I get an amen? I don't want to bring any. If you want to be a vegan, fine, but it's not biblical here. Only in Genesis. All right, Daniel. But other than that, no. Just saying, when I eat meat, I'm happy. And then I'm a little like, lethargic and want to take a nap for a week. You got to have humor in this because it'll drive you crazy, especially if you've got a prodigal. It'll kill you inside your heart. And we have to remember the heart of the father. And so he takes the calf and he kills it. Notice the father, he says, for my son was what? He's dead. We are dead in our trespasses. He was dead. And he is alive again. And he was lost. And now he is found. And they began to make merry. And the Jews know how to do this. They have a seven-day wedding feast. Could you imagine what this looks like? Man, I'm so glad the Gentiles are grafted in. This is a... A great, day, a great day for them and for the servants, as we'll see. Okay. Verse 25. It, we're doing so well. It's a wonderful parable. Everything's going great. The sun is back. We're having barbecue. No one's working today. Now. The older son was in the field. By the way, the field in the Bible, and especially in the parable of the soils, it means the world. He was in the world, but not in the world that you think. And he came and he drew near to the house, and he overheard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things mean. 
I was listening to a pastor this week about this section, and I, it didn't really dawn on me, but he, he made mention of this. Why is the older son not going and asking the father what's going on? What kind of relationship do they have or don't have? I mean, it would seem that the older son can't even tell his dad he wants to have a party with his friends. Because at some point he goes, Dad, I, I would have loved that you would have thrown me that. Well, did you tell your dad that? Well, no. You have not because you asked not. So we got the older son here. He came near and he drew. He asked the servants, what's going on? What do these things mean? And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. The servant seems excited that the son is back. Now, you could apply this, the servant being the Holy Spirit. You could do that. And how the Holy Spirit is trying to direct the older son. (laughs) You'll get all this picture in a minute. I got the deer in headlight. Look, it's all right. We only got another 45 minutes to go. But he was, verse 28, what? The older son was angry. Can I just pause? Why? Why was he angry? Well, he's going to tell us. Not only was he angry, he wouldn't even go in. Therefore, the father came out. All right. There isn't a really good relationship between the older and the father. That's, That's obvious. But what does the father do? He makes an attempt to come outside. By the way, the older is a representation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. Remember when I said in the beginning, you don't want to be son too? You don't want to be religious. You want to have a relationship. And this tells me that religious people don't have a a real relationship. And yet, what does the father do? He's still reaching out to religious people through you, through me, through radio, trying to get their heart back. But we see, tragically, they don't. Religion is the most destructive thing on planet Earth. Religion is. Religious organizations that don't do what the Bible says, very destructive. He was angry, and he did not go forward. Therefore, the father came out, and he pleaded with him, And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. That word serving also is toiling. So what did the the older just say? I've been working my way to heaven. And I'm tired that these guys just came in, these hippies, and just prayed a prayer and got saved. But I've been toiling for you. I've been doing the sacraments. I've been doing this. I've been doing that my entire life for you. What has God done for us? He's done it all. We don't have to work our way to heaven. We don't have to impress God. I, I know I've been saying this for like the last year. God will not love you any more or any less. If you think, well, I'm going to do some extra religious things and I'm going to get an extra gold star, it doesn't work like that. 
Christ has already died for you, died for me once and for all. To tell us, die, it is finished. It's done. That's good news. Yet the older is working. He's trying to gain his father's favor. We can't do that. We can never work enough to get to heaven. It'll never happen. But how many world religions work on a works-based system? Pretty much all of them, except for us. They all are, this is what I do, and when I do that, God will somehow allow me to come in, or I'll have this wonderful life, or I'll have a planet, or I'll have whatever, right? Because what I have done. Verse 28, I'm trying not to get too bogged down in this because it's real easy to, but he was angry. Religious people are angry. They're kind of bummed out. They don't like grace. They don't like you and I getting in and being all happy and joyful and singing to Jesus and having a T-shirt on. They don't like that. Joy is the measure of our walk with God. Joy. And this guy, but it's like he shows up in heaven and Jesus said, you didn't have to do all that. It was a wasted life. Oh, we talk about the younger being wasted, but it's also the older. He wasted his life too. And he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you or toiling, I never How many times do you hear that from the religious people? I don't do that. I don't say that. I don't watch that. I don't do that. I don't do that. I would never watch that. I would never listen to that. Pastor Chuck used to tell us all the time, we'd be in conferences, and he came out of the four-square denomination. He would say, it was drilled into us. Do you want to be in that movie theater? And watching that when Jesus comes back. How many of you have heard that? Your whole, you want to be doing, that is not a salvation anything. By the way, it really freed Chuck when he thought about that. He goes, that's just dumb. We're not saved or not saved because we watch a film or listen to the Beatles. <gasps> or to Whatever. Now, I'm not saying about profane stuff, obviously. Don't do that because garbage in is garbage out. But there's stuff that, eh, it's okay. Maybe your liberty, maybe somebody else's, it's not their liberty to do that. <laughs> so, he's been, I, I've been serving you. I never, I love that statement. I, I, I never transgressed your commandments at any time. Paul said he was the best Jew ever. If there were baseball cards for Jews, Paul would be on it. All of his stats on the back. <laughs> Kept all the commandments from my youth. <laughs> this day, he's batting a thousand. Paul was the best Jew. You know what Paul said that got him? Covetousness. He looked at the Ten Commandments. He, I've done that one. Check, that, check, 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 check. Oh, he had wanted in his own life, just like this religious older son. 
By the way, is it interesting to anyone else that he wants to have Mary as well? Mary, joy, but he can't find it. He can't get it. I think that's very telling. Let's finish the, that verse. Lo, these many years I've been serving you, and I never transgressed the commandments at any time, yet you never. Oh, there's a, I've never, but you've never. But dad's been there the whole time, sitting on the porch. Do, you, do we come to him? Oftentimes, we don't have the relationship with God, not because of anything that God has done, but it's because what we have not done or spoken up or expressed just like this. You never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son, he can't even call him his brother. He can't even do it. Those Calvary Chapel people all loving each other and hugging people and not social distancing. What's going on today? If you didn't listen to the roundtable chat that Micah and I did, uh, granted the quality wasn't great, but we were talking about that. How COVID is dividing people in the church. How dumb. I mean, there's a lot of dumb things to divide over, whether or not we baptize full immersion or we sprinkle or do we say it in the name of the Father and the Son. These are all things about music, about guitars or drums. We divide about carpet and chairs and steeples and stained glass. Really salvational issues. Right? Now we got a new one. COVID. And I, I want to say this as, with as, as much love as I possibly can. That's stupid to be dividing over something we can't see and the government's overreach. Really, really. I encourage you guys, there's a lot of good information out. We produce it. Mike and I, we've done two. We put, I, I post things on our Facebook account all the time to give you information on mass or on doctors and freedom and this and that, I encourage you to watch God Speak Calvary Chapel out of California with uh, Pastor Rob. They, they do a phenomenal job of bringing people on to share. My wife was telling me, I haven't got to watch it yet. I know I'm running out of time. Uh, a lady was on a couple of days ago with Rob. Peggy is her name, and she has been fighting the mass ordinance, and has got Orange County to remove their mass ordinance because it's not a law, and they're not allowed to do that, like Ori County. Oh, oh we're going to get there. <laughs> because I'm reaching out to her to get some documents so that we can bring them to the Ori County Council. Let's stop this nonsense. She got, you remember all those signs on the side of the road? They said, like, wear your mask, wash your hands. She got those all removed from the United States because they're illegal. They can't use them for that purpose. Isn't that great? Yeah. This one person, this one lady said, I'm going to walk out in the midst of that. Politicians have no idea what's going on. You ask Horry County why they didn't. I uh, don't because this group over there said it is, and this group over there. Did you do the research yourself? No, we didn't do it. Why are you doing it? 
Well, we don't know. It's just more government control. What does that have to do with our message today? Nothing. (laughs) But we do want you to vote. We went into that, Mike and I. Big issue on voting. 35 million Christians don't vote. We have every right to be given the government. We deserve them if we don't vote. Please go out and vote. We did a whole thing, Mike and I. We talked about statistics and why you should vote. And, and I made a PSA for our radio station. And listen, I want to say this, that we're not voting for a man. We're voting for a platform. We're voting for ideas. And it, uh, we get bogged down in this name. No, no. What does that person stand behind? What is the platform? Because people just vote name or they vote D or R or blue or red and that's what they see. What is the platform? In in my mind, this is the most simple election of all time. You have a platform of life, of religious freedom, of pro-protection and limited government. Isn't that great? Yay! What's this platform? Pretty much everything against that. I don't need to say anybody's name. I don't have to say vote for this party or that party. What I have to say is, as a believer, it's pretty clear. The Bible is very clear. Vote for life. Vote for religious freedom. Aren't you excited you're meeting today? Do you know how many churches in America are not meeting even right now, even in our own county and state, let alone Michigan? let alone the independent nation of California. He was angry. He wouldn't call his brother out by name. He says, let's get back to our scripture, shall we? Should we try to finish the Bible study? Who got me off, by the way? I will blame it on Matt. Probably Tom. I did that, I did that, make merry with my friends, you came, Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm, verse 31, notice the father, son, you're always with me, you have every opportunity to speak to me, without doing religion, put that aside, put whatever you were raised up and whatever religious organization. And, and this, this is what I tell people all the time. There are safe people in all of those. You know how I know? The seven letters of the seven churches. There's always a remnant in every single one of them. Be it Lutheran, Presbyterian, Catholic, Baptist. Now, the Baptists didn't like the dancing part today, did they? You'll get that on the way home. There's safe people in all of those. And God says, I'm here. But you didn't reach out to me. I'm here. And all that I have is yours. Maybe he's mad because he just, dad just took out one of his calves. Like, that's my property. And gave it. Please listen to the last of the father. By the way, I have no idea how I got off on that political thing, by the way. But that was probably Holy Spirit involved. It was right 
the father says, that we should make merry. It was right. It was right on. That we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead. And he's alive. And he was lost. And he was found. Now, Jesus is speaking this to the multitudes. Who's on the side? The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And how about you? And give me a little liberty here. Jesus looked right at them. He just, he's teaching the whole thing. He doesn't look at them at all until the last verse. Is it right? Is it right what you're doing when these Gentiles are perishing and I gave you the ability to bring this message to them, you have failed? You want to know why you're bummed out? It's because rules are tiring. Rules bog people down and there's no joy. But whom the Son sets free, he's free indeed and he now has joy in his heart. If you were religious before you came to Calvary Chapel, are you not glad that now you are not religious and now you know what an actual relationship looks like? Do you know what joy looks like? Joy looks like the house of the Lord is filled with his people. Not by government mandate, not by man, but by God. We are obedient to God and what he says that we should do, which is not to forsake the assembly of the body. This is joy. And I'm, I don't mean this at all for anybody that's still at home. It's hard to have joy watching me on a TV screen. As good as this is. This moneymaker. It's hard to have joy, isn't it? Isn't it nice to laugh and have fun? How many of you were raised in religion where you didn't do that? This is wonderful. Joy in the house of the Lord. We are his people. We have joy because of what Christ has done and not what we have done, the older son. Because that doesn't bring joy. What brings joy is seeing our father from a distance running towards us. Old man running down the road. I've been waiting, son. I leave you today with this. If this is your son or daughter, continue to pray for them. Continue to look for them. Continue to ask the Lord to bring a severe famine. Nothing wrong with that. Lord, bring hellfire down on their life. Put them in into the pig pen so they can see the goodness of our Father. It's the kindness that leads us to repentance. The kindness of our Father. Amen? Amen. What a joyful day today in the house. We don't want to be divisive. We're not judging anybody else. But, Lord, these churches need to open up. These pastors need to stand strong on the word of God to rise up, to open up their churches for a place of refuge and hope and of joy. Lord, that we would stand against the tyranny of government.
We the people is what the document says. The government derives its power from the people, not the other way around. We pray, Lord, for the upcoming weeks and months. We pray your hand upon our leaders today, our state leaders and congressmen, for our president and vice president, for the cabinet. We pray for the churches in California who are under tyranny from unlawful laws that they would rise up and push back legally against these mandates. What a joyful thing it is to gather in the house of the Lord. We will be with each other for eternity. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy through this parable account. How blessed it is to know the heart of the Father. Thank you, Lord, for spending time with us and sending your servant, the Holy Spirit, to give us gifts that we do not deserve. Bless the rest of our day with family and friends now. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.